so shall we get going, gentlemen? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, well, in the desert that we've been kind of thrown into, we do have some Dundalk FC related news at last. Stephen Kenny has finally ascended to the throne to lead perhaps a revolution in the international scene, uh, which has been a desert in itself for the last 10 years when we look back on it, really. But also, we've had yet another raid on Dundalk FC, courtesy of the National Association, one that kicked up a little bit of controversy. And we can tell that there's, there's something more of a resentful atmosphere about this particular one. I've been kind of struggling for analogies on this one. But it very much seems like the FAI have a longship that occasionally pulls into Dundalk Harbour and the Vikings of Abbottstown raid the citadel and take away our treasures and pillage and plunder and seem to make off with impunity. And, and we're in that situation again. So I suppose, lads, now that we've had a return visit from the association, what do you think of the events of the last week? Uh, the poaching of Dundalk FC assistant head coach Rory Higgins. I suppose it kind of um, it, it stokes back up the feelings about when 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 Kenny got taken. Uh, kind of annoy, annoys me slightly more. I says it kind of I suppose just a double whammy of his official coronation has sort of um, brought back kind of uh, the, the feelings about that time about the FBI and then uh, kind of salt in the wound for them to swoop back in uh, again. Um, I, I suppose if. Related to the Higgins thing, yeah, it's it's a bit annoying for them to have already taken uh, someone off us. Uh, you just like, leave us alone, lads. You know, you've done enough damage as it is. Um, and I suppose it's one of those things like it goes with the usual caveats. Um, delighted for Rory Higgins. I mean, it's, it's you know, no one holds against him. Same things we said about Stephen Kenny. Um, and but uh, yes, it, it rubs salt in the wound. I, I don't know if it's a bit early to jump into this, but. You know this whole thing about the club would never stand in his in his in his way. You know this whole thing about you know the league having to stand on its own two feet and clubs having to be confident. At what stage do League of Ireland clubs say, "Well, no, we've got contracts. We we will stand in the way of, of people." You know. Well, th- this is kind of a, cr- a crucial point for me because once again, th- this happens, but. The question is, would a, would a League Two or a League One or a championship club be treated like this? There seems to be an attitude in the FAI that, you know, clubs just have to roll over and take it if we want to take some of your personnel. And there's sort of an understanding that, hey, you know, you're not a serious club like, like maybe we'd pay compensation to an English club or a Scottish club or a continental club. But you, you know, you're sort of a pub league, so we'll just come and take whoever we want from you. Or am I being too resentful there? Martin, do you want to come in on that one? I don't know. I'd say there's probably some parallels with, uh, with England. Like, I think if you look at some of the, the people who've gone on to, to manage the English national team, for, for example, uh, I think people like Steve McLaren and, you know, that kind of figure of money being pulled away from their clubs at a time where they were quite successful. Uh, but the national job is seen as a, as a big one. Uh, now, when you're talking about an assistant coach and somebody who's going into you know, some kind of scouting role or something like that, maybe it's a bit more dubious. Uh, but I don't know if, the, if there's that much of a difference uh, between here and across the water uh, in that respect. Damien, what do you reckon? Um, I honestly, I, I don't know. I suppose mixed feelings as well. Because like, it's not just the FAI. Like Stephen Kenny wants him. So, yeah, so it's Stephen Kenny that's looking for him. And Stephen Kenny that has come and pillaged him. 
if we, if we look at it like that, obviously you wish Rory Higgins all the best because it's a it's a huge honour to to be to, to be thought of like that. Like there's loads and like loads of other people that you know I wouldn't have been surprised if I had got the job or I got the call. But you're right. I think um, at the same time, you know, maybe we could stand in his way uh, and not in his way, but in in the way of the transaction. But is there any point? There's only a few months left on his contract. Well, to the end of the to the end of the season, anyway, on his on his contract. So, you know, I'd say it'd be a huge blow for us. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have mixed feelings about it. I kind of, I think once Ken- Kenny went, you're like that was kind of <laughs> that was the big one, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, let, let's let the, the wounds from that are only are yeah. only still healing. But just to kind of try and moderate my furious indignation there for a moment, mm-hmm. I suppose we do have a reality check for us. Dundalk is the centre of the footballing universe, obviously. But some some weirdos out there actually perceive the Ireland job to be a step up. Can't Mm. understand it myself. But all right, let's presume that there might be something to what they say. Of course, you know, there is is a sort of certain um, vindication of Dundalk's achievements from 2013 to 2018 and the fact that Ireland have come looking for our manager and now subsequently come looking for our coach. And you know, in a way that we can be magnanimous and say, look, if they can bring Dundalk standards of greatness to the national team, then fair enough. But I think what, what really irks us is there is, within the FAI's own rule book, uh, there is rules stating how you approach somebody under contract with another club. Now, technically, it's intended for club to club, but there is the spirit and the letter of it, which says very clearly that when you want somebody from somewhere else and they're under contract, you've got to approach the club in writing through their chairman and you've got to seek permission to talk to that person. Now, for the second occasion, that hasn't been done. And I think it's that element of disregard and disrespect which is perhaps fanning a certain resentment. I don't know how widely that is felt among fans because I suppose people have different dual relationships to the, to the national team. I, I know personally, my heart and soul used to be in the national team, but over the years, for numerous reasons, it's drifted away. Can I just like check in with you guys? I mean, how is your affinity for the national team, and particularly compared to your club? Um, I'll, I gotta say, my affinity for the national team is not particularly high, um, generally. But my, I've always loyalty has always been Dundalk first, and I kind of treat people who treat the national team higher is a bit weird to be honest with you I mean I love watching Ireland I love supporting Ireland but give me three Dundalk championships back to back or Ireland winning a European championship and I, I, I might have to think about that one uh, overnight and um, yeah no I mean I like watching Ireland I like seeing them do well but my uh, my first loyalty is always to Dundalk um, and I just find it's funny because I not and I don't want to you know make fun of him for it, but Stephen Kenny claimed during the week that there is no higher pinnacle than the Irish national job. And you have to say, really, <laughs> like Real Madrid, uh, you know, um, Barcelona. If if they came calling, uh, you wouldn't walk for them. So I don't believe he wouldn't walk away from the Irish national team if Barcelona came calling. My affinities is firstly with Dundalk, and I guess this comes at a time when. Uh, through the shenanigans of the FAI over the years, um, it, it's even lower than ever, uh, my affinity for the national team. Because the national team, for me, is associated with the FAI. And the way the FAI treats the league, treated Dundalk, 
um, treated the national team, treats everybody. It it has a stench, which to me yeah. uh, links to the national team. And this this is a point that that kind of rankles with me a little bit because we're sort of we we always suspected we, we're league fans and looking at the wider context of the league, you know, we've always been something of an irrelevance, and that was never truer under the former executive vice president and even more former CEO. There seemed to be never a wider chasm between the governing body in the country and the material reality of life in the crumbling stadia from around about the league. And we, we always suspected that there was money in the game, but it was all concentrated at the top. And we always suspected on top of that, that this may not always have been, you know, entirely above board. And we've had all these revelations where our suspicions of the inequity uh, and, and the lack of support for grassroots well, it's all been burst open now, and we've seen the FAI have this slew of scandals over the last year. But we had been kind of given the impression that that was water, to rather toxic, sludgy water, now under the bridge, and this was a fresh new start. But by the way they've done their business in this particular instance, it seems that it's more the same, that league clubs can be pushed around and really, you know, you just have to kick it. And one of the statements, and there are many made on, over the last few years that that uh, Delaney, you know, what that really rankled with me was when he was sort of asked about how Dundalk felt about the, the, the poaching of their manager, he kind of put on this grin and said, oh, Dundalk have been magnificent. And I think when you've hung around those corporate executive types long enough, you can decode that. And that really translated for me as Dundalk aren't going to sue us because they know we'll make life really difficult for them because we're their governing body and they do have a route to like the court for arbitration in sport but it's true us so i mean if they if they really make a fuss here we can make very life very difficult for them and they realize that so you know they're, they're going to take this one lying down and it seems that we're back in another kind of iteration of that that we're kind of expected to take this one on the chin not look for any compensation not kick up a fuss that this approach wasn't made as per the rules and not a lot has changed at the FAI from what I can see. What do you think? I think that maybe the most disappointing thing of it is that Stephen Kenny, who lives in the Dundalk area, must have been aware of some of the feeling uh, about his departure in a sense maybe that, you know, even though his, his time at Dundalk is still looked upon very favorably, there was a little bit of a souring of the relationship uh, when he left. And so for him to be involved in a situation where he subsequently is involved in the, the poaching of another member of staff in, you know, very similar circumstances, you would expect, you know, somebody of, of his character to, you know, have enough self-awareness to maybe think twice about doing that or, you know, at least uh, go to some lengths to avoid the appearances of the, the same thing. Yeah, and I think... I don't, I don't think it's I too much to ask the FAI to follow their own rule book. Is, is sort of how I'd sum it up. Yeah, well, I think the, the National Association and the national team to a, a certain degree as well, to go back to your previous question, have made it hard to like them over the past, you know, 10, 12 years. Uh, and we've gone through a period of time where performances on the pitch have been hard to love. You know, some of the, the staff members in the management haven't exactly uh, endeared themselves to the general population as well with some of their remarks about, you know, our capacity for, for good football. Um, and then just the general management of the, the organization. And I think we were always told uh, again and again that, you know, the league needed to, uh, you know, have a solid financial footing of its own. 
Um, and there was this, you know, kind of lecturing from the top uh, that what the league was doing wasn't adequate and it was always, you know, in need of additional support. And then we've gone on to subsequently find out that the league itself was largely self-funded uh, and that the association that was uh, doing all this lecturing was in fact incredibly badly mismanaged. Uh, and even as recently as the, the Robbie Keane situation where it turns out that he's on, you know, an extended contract that it looks like he's going to have to get a substantial payoff in order to disappear off into the sunset. Really just goes to show that there was a kind of unending stream of uh, financial mismanagement and waywardness within the organization that really left them in no place to, to lecture the likes of uh, the league and individual clubs uh, on their own management. It's, it's really quite amazing. It is. I think, I think that as we sit here, <clears throat> we speak as League of Ireland fans, like to be honest, I'm I'm a Dundalk fan first and foremost, um, and I used to follow Ireland. I remember going to Portugal in 1995 and we play for um, for a group game, and you know, I followed them quite a bit. But um, no, it would be Dundalk miles ahead. But I think as League of Ireland football fans, we're completely different to to the to the other football fans in this country who are those who who follow the English clubs and the Scottish club and the Irish team because it's. It's big football. It's big stadium. It's event. It's you know. It's it, 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 there's the chance of big travel. It, it's it's like big boys grown up football. Whereas the League of Ireland seen seen as like to them, it's seen as something that's that's irrelevant and very very small in the crumbling stadia. And you know that we're just fanatics that you know, or we don't know anything about football. So I think there's two different types of, or possibly three different types of, of supporters in, in the country. And um, yeah, I, t- I think we. Us here, we're preaching to the to the converted. It's uh, it's the it's the others that don't understand us. <laughs> yeah, I just I haven't been to an international since the Staunton era, <laughs> and, okay. and uh, but I remember at the time a, a slight feeling of unease. And the way in which you get it is, for example, I just remember being on the, I think it was a the, the old Lansdowne Road South Terrace, and you look around you and. The, the, when, when there's banners being unveiled with massive Chelsea lines on them with the, with the emblem and then the, the slogan Chelsea Irish mm. and you look around you and, and you, you, you know, there's no recognisable faces from the League of Ireland and there's just a very much, it's, it's got the vibe of an English Premier League fixture as regards the scale and the crowd and all of that. Um, it, it, it does, the, the, that disconnect between the league and and the national team is very apparent and it's not made more bridgeable by incidents like in that era the Stephen Ireland sort of controversy where he went home claiming a bereavement that what there was a fiction and then we go on to have the like the indignities of the of the Jack Grealish and then the Declan Rice affair where essentially guys are choosing choosing their country rather like they're choosing a club move and and as well as that, the football has been so dreadful at international level for a decade. While basically show, the showgrounds and Oriel Park were falling asunder, we had millions being splurged away on high-profile managers who really were, were incapable of marshalling the players we had at international level and didn't, didn't, didn't believe in them, didn't have faith in them that they could play football. And when, when you get on top of that comments like, Trapattoni saying there is no league in Ireland. It really just does twist a knife. You know, it is very, very difficult to love this team when it constantly dismisses and denigrates football in this country. And, and 
Go on. Related to that is the lack of call-ups for League of Ireland players. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a point then where we are then cast as the fanatics and then the real football people will say, but a League of Ireland player is League 2, League 3 quality. And I don't think that's that, that's the debate I don't bother entering anymore because you know, it's both sides are never going to convince each other. But at the height of Dundalk's powers, um, and in you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, I think when Ireland was at its absolute most uncreative nadir, there was nothing to lose by throwing in some of Dundalk's players. I mean, we were doing it in the Europa League, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. with some amazing individual performances, and the Irish team was so bereft of quality. Yeah, that you had nothing to lose. Even if you did it as a PR stunt to ride on the back of the dock thing, you would have added football quality and they still wouldn't do it. Well, That's one of the things that really rankles me about that period. And then and they come in and steal the manager, but <laughs> would never have given players yeah. a go, you know? And, and just to kind of complete that picture, like, I mean, I think it would have been a beautiful natural experiment to have that Dundalk team circa 2016 play the Irish international team in a charity game because I imagine you know we would have had a good chance of turning them over and and that's simply down to the fact that we were playing football and playing football as it is played in Europe and at a pretty decent level the international team was seemingly still entrenched and committed to anti-football a belief that they couldn't actually win in a proper game against any international opponent that we had to rely on physicality and long balls and breaks and play and all of this sort of nonsense. Uh, now, do you think it's, it was that moment, it was where Dundalk seemed to kind of eclipse and show up and highlight the inadequacies of the international team that got the FAI, eventually pressured them to kind of come looking for Kenny as the future for Irish international football? I think, yeah, I think all the league success wouldn't have done it alone. Um, Stephen Kenny has done it in the league before. Um, and I think to have just if the dog had just done what they did over this decade, the past decade, um, uh, domestically, I don't think he would have got the nod. I think it was the European campaign. And um, the big thing as well, I, I think, should be said at this point, because there's been a lot of national attention on Kenny in, in the week because of the announcement. And you have to look out for the, the chronology of um, Stephen Kenny's time in Dundalk has been a bit askew because the implication is that he did that European thing with the peak six money, some of the stuff, the storytelling, the narrative has become completely twisted. Mm. Um, he built that team, the back of that team, um, of the uh, of Paul and Andy's uh, ownership. Um, and there's this strange kind of um, history has gotten a bit muddled now. Um, he did that European success with extremely limited resources. Mm. Well, he got to that off, you know, it started in 2013 with absolutely no resources. Mm and built that wave that got to 2016 uh, without any foreign money or anything like that. Um, he did all that, which is one of the reasons why he's as good as he is. Um, and then they came in and took him because he's able to do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. it's price of success, I suppose. It, and really, I mean, it's probably one of the only jobs that, you know, we kind of began to suspect when we had that success in Europe and, the, the Martin O'Neill Roy Keane partnership was beginning to go into a decline. And you kind of began to get the thought that if these guys get the bullet, which it looked increasingly more likely that they would, 
that there was a possibility that would uh, that Stephen Kenny would be sought out for for the manager's job. But even at that, <laughs> when the FAI wanted to come calling to the league, they couldn't give us the full dignity of taking our manager and making him Ireland manager. It was almost as if he had to be detoxified in this apprenticeship at the under-21 level, which is not a prestigious role at all. And, and yet again, that adds to our sense of grievance. I hope people don't feel like we're bitter about this, but it, it was, you know, it would have been something if he had gone directly into the international manager's job, which he had every entitlement to do, given the style of football we had played and the level we had played it at. But, you know, this notion that the League of Ireland was somehow below under-21 international football, and when you look around, you know, at, at who had previously occupied that role, they were not they were not like big names. They were not, it was never considered a prestigious post. Nonetheless, let's try and change the tone and be a little bit more magnanimous. Um, what are Ireland getting with this Higgins and, and, and Kenny combination? Do you think they'll be able to translate their style of play that they pioneered with Dundalk and brought us to the heights that we did to the verge of the Champions League group stages. Do you think now they'll be able to bring that to the international stage and at last end this wilderness period for Ireland, which has gone on for essentially decades, where we go on the field to play, presuming that everybody else plays football better than us? I think if he's given time, yeah. I think, I think he would. As I said, I said it there about that. I couldn't name the Ireland first eleven because I haven't watched them, um, and I don't know how long. I just I couldn't. I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than, than watch them. So I couldn't really I couldn't really tell you. All I know is that they're they're pretty poor, and that they're they're not that good. That that's yeah. If I can do a name, don't on it. Yes, I've been told that it's really really awful, <laughs> but it is it is awful. Like, well, I have watched maybe one or two games, and I wonder what the hell am I after doing. I think if he's given time, and what I mean is if he's given time to bring in. Um, to bring in youth, to bring in uh, players that believe in him and that he believes in, I think that he can turn around the international setup. I, I fully believe that, but he has to be given time um, to do that. I think if you look at the success that's happened in, in some other countries, and after year 2000, like there was a, a feeling that both Germany and England had really kind of suffered kind of shocking performances and you know were being shown up uh, in terms of their, their youth development pipelines and things like that by the, the likes of France, who were very successful at the time. Um, they really acted on that. Like they took their, you know, their beatings on the chin at the time and went and looked very hard at the structures that they had in place and invested very hard in youth development. And you know, just 10 years later, the effect that was visible on you know, German football, football, for example, and I think maybe five or six years later on English football, showed that you know, really you have to be investing in people at a very young level uh, in academies and in your coaching uh, at junior levels and stuff like that to achieve, I think, success on the, the international stage. And I think there's a history in this country of relying almost exclusively on English football academies uh, to educate Irish players. There might be a sense that that is changing a little bit at the moment, um, mainly because of the, I suppose, the, the vast riches that are available in English football at the moment and the fact that they can pick from you know, young players around the globe Maybe uh, Irish players are being squeezed out a little bit, but I think Stephen Kenny can probably only do so much. Like I have no doubt that he will stick to his principles when it comes to you know arranging the, the style and structure of the first team, but he will be limited by the quality that is coming in through the, the ranks. And while there's some green shoots, I think this country is still a long way behind the likes of its neighbours in terms of the, the development of players at a young age. 
Uh, and so while I expect things to be better, I don't think they're going to be, you know, fantastic. It's, it's a pertinent point because back in 2002, when we went to the World Cup in Korea and Japan, we were the only country there that had no representative from their own domestic league. And now we find ourselves a generation further on and we haven't really seen anything change as regards professional footballing infrastructure in Ireland. The FAI, if, if they've done anything, it's been invisible <laughs> because the, the, the small amount of professionalism that has crept into the game has come through our success, through Dublin or South Dublin County Council building Tala Stadium. They're the most visible improvements that we've seen in the country. And the ability with a little bit of success for us to attract investors that allow us to have some, some level of financial stability. But up until 2016, we were still turning over everybody on a year-long contract because that's pretty much all the level of security that we could offer anybody. So like you say, yeah, 100% correct. The FAI have been content for generations to allow English football educate our, and produce our players. And they hope to pick them up then and you know, added to, augmented by the, the, by the grandparentage rule to, to be able to put out a competitive squad. Really, given that that's the infrastructure on which the international team rests, it's amazing that we've qualified for anything in the last 20 years. Uh, because once again, we know we now know where the money was prioritized. Um, but let's not go there for fear of getting sued. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I would say one thing about the, all this is I would say about can Stephen Kenny do it. One thing I am I honestly believe is give Stephen Kenny the same squad that O'Neill and Keane had, or McCarthy had, or Trapattoni had, and he honestly could get them playing better football. Okay, oh, yeah. given the same squad, he will get them playing better football, and um, so that's one thing. He can definitely improve things immediately, I think. But I think Martin is right, which is one thing about Stephen Kenny, especially what he did with Dundalk, was when he came in, he found these gems in the mud. Okay, and you think about where he got O'Donnell, Hoban, uh, Towell. Um, brought back in, you know, players like Gartland and stuff who were, were in the wilderness, right? I mean, one of the most amazing things about Stephen Kenny, people talk about his man management, people talk about his tactical, people talk about his, you know, the bravery which his teams played with. But that original seed that he started in 2013, he built a team and he, he went to Murview, he went to Salt Hill, players who'd been out of the game for months, players who thought they would never come back, he was able to pick them. As a national team manager, you can't do that as much. You can still find the players that haven't got a shot at, at national team football who have been forgotten, and I hope he does that. Um, but you don't have the same flexibility to build a team, so he needs he needs the players. And what people have always said about Ireland is, we don't have the players, we don't have the players. Um, now, the recent youth uh, results would suggest that there is something coming through. Um, and, you know, maybe there are Irish players across England and Scotland and stuff that have never gotten a shout and he can find them. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a very different environment because the, the pool is much more limited. Uh, but I think he can definitely improve things immediately. 
I mean, any of us in this chat could probably improve things uh, immediately. <laughs> well, it's like when you say we don't have the players, we don't have the players. <clears throat> Quite evident, we never had the managers either. So this is his shot, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. But one of the things I found really frustrating about the, the way in which the FAI has done its business and, and, and the collaboration with sort of, you know, um, uh, wealthy millionaires who are topping up wages. It was as if you can, you can throw in a, a, a big name manager to solve the fact that you have not built a, a pyramid, an infrastructure beneath the international team. To me, it was always ridiculous. You, you could have you got Alex Ferguson, you could have got Pep, you could have got anybody. But when you don't have a professional league, producing a volume of full-time professional players, you're always going to be building your squad from scraps. Now, another thing I think is really going to change with Stephen Kenny is, you know, Trapattoni, obviously, he's not going to turn away millions to come manage Ireland when he's doing nothing else. But to me, it was clear that he arrived here, had a look at the first training session and said, my God, these guys can't play. So I'm just going to slap three defensive midfielders in front of a back four and hope to draw enough games to get us to a tournament. And that, that's kind of what he did. Very negative, boring, dull, unadventurous football that was hard to watch, but still better than what came after it, which was very dull, negative, boring football that didn't even get us anywhere, with a couple of exceptions. Now, Stephen Kenny is absolutely committed to the passing game, to constructive football, to, I think he, he will probably have a, a very robust exchange with anybody who says that we can't play. Because if Ireland players believe that they can't play, well, then they're not going to play. But we have seen the way that he instilled confidence in people and it transformed them utterly as players. And building that 2013 uh, squad, which essentially is still there in, 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 in a large aspect. I, you know, came second, uh, came second in the league in its first season, um, lost a cup semi-final to Anthony Bottomer. <laughs> so we could, have, we could have, you know, conceivably with a little bit more luck, gone all the way. Now, Pat's just edged us that year. But after that, it was success after success. But also the remarkable transformation in taking players who were not big names and transforming them into stars, but also taking players like, say, Chris Shields and transforming him utterly as, as regards how he played the game. Mm. And, and I think, you know, he sort of embodies just the ability of, of what Stephen Kenny has to almost like an alchemist transform a player from one state to a completely different state. If he can do that with presumably the better players he has at international level, at least we, we, we will have a team. But I think more importantly, Dundalk fans had been through such a trauma by the time we got to 2013. That I remember saying to quite a few people, I just want to see us play proper football. I like, you know, the trophies, nice if they come, but, you know, we weren't even thinking about trophies. We had seen so much bad football, so much long volley stuff over the years and, you know, down in the first division and players who were basic, very barely players at all. Uh, we just wanted to see good football and we got it. And on that good, constructive, positive passing game, creating chances, scoring goals, maintaining possession, we built that, that period of tremendous success. If he takes that attitude into the international team, the only thing that can stop it from working is if the players don't buy into it. Now, that's another accusation that has been leveled around. You know, we've hired some ex-fringe international saying, oh, who is he? I don't know who he is, you know. And, and you're kind of scratching your head as regards where these statements come from. But nonetheless, it's this sort of notion that 
if you haven't had a career in in England or Scotland and well particularly England really then then you haven't registered in the footballing world so I mean do you think that's a challenge he's going to face and not so much merely with players but do you think if he has a few bad results that generally the people who go along will say who is this guy and why do we pick somebody from this pub league to, to to manage the international team do you think that he's going to quickly have critics both perhaps within the dressing room and on the terraces as well yeah i think um there's a huge amount of goodwill towards him but there is also this creeping shadow which is already there now the the ex-players i mean all this kind of stuff i mean if you are in any way within the radius of Irish football and you claim to not know who Stephen Kenny is, you're brain dead and you don't deserve, your opinion isn't <laughs> to be listened to. Now, there is the conspiracy theory that this was psyops by Robbie Keane, that Robbie Keane sent out the word to his ex-pals to slander Stephen Kenny. That's the story that he basically said. It, it can be explained by, you know, some people are paid to have an opinion. Yeah, uh, and, and so it has to be different. You yeah. need to generate one on the spot. That's very true. But I think... Um, I think there's a huge amount of goodwill. People, I think people generally want to see him do well. Even Shamrock Rovers fans, who we heard for years call him an expletive uh, from the ground, for him having the dignity of being fired by them. Uh, you know, apparently he's a, he's a wanker because he got fired um, by them. But uh, I'd say there's a huge amount of goodwill across Irish football. I think people, it goes back to what you said, Ken, people want to see us play football and play well. But if it doesn't go well, they have the easiest criticism in the world, which is he's from a tin pot league and we should have went higher. So. That being said, I want to cast your minds back to where it kind of all began. Um, when we had that epic October showdown with Cork City in 2014, the cup final effectively to win the league on the final day where we had to win or a draw or, or a result would have, done, would have done Cork. How many of you remember that Chris Shields actually was a, an early injury in that, had to come off after eight or nine minutes, and he was replaced by one Rory Higgins. That had totally slipped my mind, actually, until I've just read that up today. Um, about Rory, if we can just focus on him for a minute. Um, I, I recall him as a sort of a, a, a very savvy kind of anchor man. He'd sit in front of the back four, often introduced to the game for Dundalk in that championship winning season, our first championship winning season for many of that squad, as a, a sort of player to calm things down when we were sort of trying to see out the final difficult uh, half an hour of a game. Always composed in possession, fond of the short kind of passes, uh, very much a sort of player who maintained possession. So sort of Stephen Kenny has sought him out several times on his travels. They've worked together before. Um, what do you think he'll bring to the international setup, and how do you think he'll make the adjustment from League of Ireland to suddenly kind of having to analyse opposition at an international level and also have words in the ear of of the international squad players? I mean, I'm sure he's done uh, similar kind of roles for Dundalk from time to time. I know that Stephen O'Donnell was opposition analyst for uh, the, the Bones of last season, but. I'd imagine that Rory from time to time has been called upon to visit distant lands and uh, go give his opinions on, on players. I suspect, although I don't know much about the work that he's done, I suspect that Stephen Kenny probably wouldn't have called upon him if he hadn't seen him operate in that role in the past uh, and had a very favourable opinion of, of what he was doing. 
Yeah, it's the one thing I would say is I, I, I honestly would not question anything Stephen Kenny does in that regard. I mean, to me, it always, for all the 2016 stuff, to me, the magic is what he did in 2013. Because mm. he built a team and he found those players. Like, he built this ragtag bunch. And when, he, when you started seeing names coming in, this scoffing, I mean, scoffing from the dog fans and people who had never, like, you know, who is Andy Boyle or that player is washed up, that player is finished. So I'll never question any of his decisions. I'll question the decision to come and rob our uh, staff, but <laughs> I won't question. And then I think he knows what he's doing. I think Martin's right. He has seen something. He sees something in these players. Uh, and so I would, from that point of view, he's earned forever more. I wouldn't question any of those decisions because he clearly knows what he's at. If we can just cast back over the record now we've never had a, a full retrospective on Stephen Kenny I think because his departure was so traumatic we just let it lie really but 2013 second and to a cup semi-final 2014 <clears throat> league and a league cup 2015 the double 2016 league and of course the famous euro adventure which was kind of into the stratosphere and at that point, he had sort of achieved Messiah status, really. And I think that's, that's sort of, you know, that, that, all of those gifts, all of that legacy is, uh, it, it's sort of, it's an untarnishable record for many Dundalk fans. I mean, when you meet Stephen Kenny or see him in the street, there's almost a hushed silence around folks, it, 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 like, almost like a god walks among us. And then, of course, we go on to League Cup the following year, double the following year. And by that stage, that's when Ireland came calling. Now, given all of that success, do you think now that he's moved on to Ireland and obviously we've had the trauma of losing somebody who we probably hoped he'd be like that guy that used to manage Wrens who has managed them since the 1960s and he'd be there as an 80-year-old man still managing Dundalk to glory. But of course, you know, there's, there's nothing permanent but impermanence and, and he's moved on to other things. Do you think it's going to take a while for you to reconcile to, uh, to, to seeing him as the Ireland manager. And maybe a, 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 are Dundalk fans going to have their noses out of joint with the national side for a while to come? Or do you think once we see Ireland playing Dundalk-style football and Stephen Kenny on the sideline, we'll, we'll be right on board again? I think, for me personally, if Vinny hadn't have been a success, if, we, if last season hadn't been so good, I'd, been a, I'd be a lot more better. If they had taken Kenny and that had been the start of the descent of Dundalk, I'd be an extremely better man. Um, <laughs> but the fact that Vinny took the torch and started running means I can, you know, I, when, when they took Kenny, I was like, you know, the analogy I give is like uh, attending your ex's wedding or something like this, I don't know, or seeing your ex up time with someone else. Like, no, nah, I don't want to see it. Now I'm like, eh, you know, I'm on to something better. No. <laughs> uh, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I think if if we hadn't have had such a good season last season, it would have been harder to take. So, yeah, I, I'm indifferent. And there, there was some barbs from our enemies that it was all going to come off the rails there. And I suppose that was a, a really interesting question. Was, was it Kenny alone who sort of made this all happen? And certainly his presence was the instigator for all of this success, but... We probably still don't give Vinnie Pert quite the credit he deserves to go on and basically do a clean sweep of all trophies in his first season as a manager. And we've talked about all the challenges that he faced and all the questions that were asked of him. And unfortunately, his second season has been interrupted, as has everybody else's. And we might get on to that in a moment. 
But I suppose, yeah, that, that success did soften the pill a little bit. Um, what about you guys, uh, Martin and Damien? Do you think you'll be enticed back to the Aviva Stadium to watch Ireland play anytime soon? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll watch it curiously. I think um, I wish him the best luck because I think his style of play is brilliant. It's really, really nice. It's easy to watch. It's, um, it's super. And I think that if, if he can get the Irish players to play like that, Everybody will enjoy it. Um, would it stop me? Um, would it make me watch Ireland before watching them? Not? No, definitely not. Uh, even if we're playing not as well as we are. But I just wish them all the best. Um, but yeah, a bit like Robert Rory said, yeah, like if, if, the, if the train had to start coming off the rails and Kenny left, you'd be really, really better. But um, no, I think we're, we're in good shape as it is. I don't know if the season's only kind of begun and it's stopped now. I still think we're in good shape, you know. So, um, no, I, I wish him all the best. And I might throw an eye on him and see how he's getting on. <laughs> I think much like his, his 2013 season at Dundalk, uh, I think there's a bit of a sense around the Irish team that the only way is up. Uh, and that if he does come in and brings a, a kind of fresh style where the, the style of football is quite attractive, uh, I think many people will find it very easy to get on board with that. Yeah. Uh, and even when he was with the under-21s, there was sort of, there was a, a bandwagon slowly developing, you know, stories of sellouts at the, the Tallah Stadium to, to go watch the under-21s. And a sense that there was a bit of momentum building behind him uh, and the, the style of football that was being played by that team. And if he does get off to a good start, I think he could easily see that snowball into, you know, a, a very positive thing for him. Um, now, during his time at Dundalk, I think he was renowned more so probably than Finney Perth as an excellent man manager, like the kind of person who would get his, his arm around the, the shoulder of a player uh, and kind of tell him how great he was. Uh, I think there was almost a theme throughout some of the, the Dundalk programs of the era uh, of players remarking about how they were on the verge of quitting football or they never wanted to, to play it again. And all of a sudden they got this call from Stephen Kenny, like he was some kind of figure out of Highway to Heaven or Quantum Leap or something like that, coming to rescue them from, you know, a fate of uh, disappointment and, uh, you know, well, forgotten dreams. I've, I've heard uh, that... I don't know if he'll be able to do that with the international team. I mean, there is so little face-to-face -face time between players who are kind of, you know, flying in from abroad for a, a very short period of time together. But I still think it's going to be an improvement. I mean, I heard rumors that Martin O'Neill, for example, uh, regularly didn't attend like training sessions uh, during the week. And the players, he left that to, to Keane and the others. And so the players would only actually see him in the dressing room right before matches where he would start to dictate instructions. And I found that like really extraordinary. I, I don't know for sure, but it's absolutely true. But um, I, I certainly don't think that's the approach that Stephen Kenny will take. I think, you know, the second that there are boots on the ground, he will be there with them talking about you know, his vision for, for what he wants to achieve on the pitch. Um, and so I, I would be very happy to uh, go down and visit, I don't know, the next Ireland versus Oman friendly and uh, see how he's getting on at Aviva. Uh, but I'm not sure how long it will be before we actually get the chance to next uh, take part in uh, a big sporting occasion in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, that is, that is true. And that brings us to another point. We originally had a, a schedule for July 19th or June 19th where all this would resume. The league is in hibernation but we can tell that it's obviously having a great strain on a lot of clubs. We've had 
even the big fish like Shamrock Rovers have announced a 25% pay cut to staff, which has just been agreed. Now, I mean, it'd be really cheap for anybody to take any pleasure in that because it's a problem which is not too far from the doors of any club, I imagine, and particularly the smaller ones, you know, how, how uh, Cove Ramblers or Longford Town is doing. Uh, they, they really must be in a precarious situation at this stage. And of course, we have our own squad who essentially are kicking their heels, unable to really train, unable, like just as we are approaching match fitness. I mean, do you, do you reckon, is this season sort of gone as a competitive one? Do you think we're going to see football again this, this side of September even? I don't. Um, I think this is a write-off. I think the history books will have a blank on this one. I, I saw one suggestion uh, for a, a nostalgic return to one season of winter football. Um, now, I think, by the way, predictions are, are pointless at this stage. I, I know it, it ain't happening in June. I think you're right on that. Um, whether or not something can start in September, I, 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 I don't see the point in speculating because none of us know. Um, but there was one suggestion of a, a throwback winter season. Um, so get get... Uh, although not, not as if the weather is always incredible during the summer season, but um, I listen, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I think the history books will have a big blank on twenty twenty. I was going to say, like, what what happens then to Europe? Does that mean? Do you think that like that's and then like it's all football this year? Really? That's... Yeah, I think I think I I think nothing's going to happen until next year. I think I don't know how you work it because we're out of sync with the rest of Europe. Yeah, I don't know because. Lots of leagues just got abandoned. Um, I don't know how any of that's going to work out. I really don't. I don't know how they're going to solve any of that, especially because we're out of sync. But uh, I just don't see... Uh, I don't think that... This is all I'm going to say. I don't think there will ever be a 2020 champion of Ireland. Hmm. I think I would be very pleased if we returned, uh, you know, next February, March with 20 League of Ireland teams. Uh, if... Although the teams were, you know, financially healthy enough to, to take part uh, at that stage in the 2021 season, I think that would be a sort of victory uh, from yeah. where we are now. Yeah, Judge. Basically, I suppose that's it. I mean, it, you know, that this is an existential threat to clubs as well. And um, I suppose we've just probably just got to cross our fingers and hope that some antiviral or some vaccine comes along that allows us to get back to normal. How have you been surviving without football? It's a bit of a weird world, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I like it. To me, the most annoying thing is as we approach summer because I think of uh, European uh, adventures. Um, I mean, I I live pretty close to uh, uh, Richmond Park, and I think of multiple years of blazing hot days, uh, walk strolling up. Uh, Emmett Road uh, for um, a game up there and now that's going to be happening um, and missing Oriel Park on Friday night but you know it is what it is yeah. Yeah. for now anyway so guys I suppose we've we've covered quite a bit of ground it's probably been therapeutic although we've probably come across as more resentful and bitter than <laughs> Then, then, then. Well, no, probably an accurate level of resentment and bitterness. I, I am, I am resentful and bitter, so I'm not more than anything. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, pretty much. Yeah, despite despite our efforts to put good graces on it, I'm not buying this. I'm not entirely buying this. Uh, wish him well. 
Um, oh, well, I, I do wish the lads well. I just wish the FAI would follow their own rules and give us appropriate compensation when they come along to steal our coaching staff to try and steady their own rather rickety, opulent and luxurious ship. Um, so that kind of sums it up. But maybe if, I just, if, we, if we just want to kind of cast our minds back on the, on, on the era that you know, we've just had under Stephen Kenny. And, and the era that perhaps Ireland might have. If there is any consolation, it might be that we finally get an international team that you can, you can bear to watch. But if I was asked you the one defining memory of Stephen Kenny, one moment, um, what would it be? I think maybe strangely, my most vivid Stephen Kenny memory is the, uh, the launch of the 2016 kit in the town hall. Uh, it was just such an unusual event. Like... I don't recall anything else like that ever really happening in the history of the club. And strangely, it didn't happen uh, subsequently after that either. It wasn't a, a kind of team that we returned to at any stage. But uh, there was, I suppose, a sense after the, the double in 2015 that, you know, things were pretty good. Uh, and I think shortly off the back of that, there was the announcement of CX were going to be the, the kit supplier. And there was a sense that, uh, you know, a bit of local initiative was, was on the horizon. And there was some kind of, you know, partnership building between the, the club and uh, the horse race of wires. Um, and just that event, there seemed to be like a momentum behind the team. There seemed to be, you know, a sudden raft of publicity and everything like that. And just the feeling that everything was on the up. Um, and so, yeah, even though it's not, you know, really related to, you know, a particular match or, um, you know, a success on the field, that is something that really stood out for me as, you know, a kind of something very different about the, the era. Yeah, for me, um... Again, the obvious things are people are going to say are Bate, uh, double winning things, 2014 v Cork. But the more I think about it, it's not, it's not, it's not a one-off event. Um, but I keep, things keep getting lost in like 2016 eclipses everything before that. The double eclipsed 2014. But in 2013, I keep thinking back to what we did that year. To come from the year before, to challenging for the league um, with this team of players. And you look at all the clubs where they came from. Um, that's the real miracle of Stephen Kenny. Bate, um, Alkmaar, all these things. Um, the real, when, when, when the dust finally settles and you can finally have enough distance between you and event. 2013, even though we didn't uh, win the league, will, I think will go down as his greatest achievement because it started everything else. And it so easily could have gone wrong. I mean, you, you, you could have given him that position. You know, Paul Brown could have driven to Donegal, as the song goes, got him down, and it just mightn't have worked out. But if you think about, you know, where he got all those players and where those players have subsequently gone and done, um, it's, to me, it's the whole 2013 season is really his, is his legacy. Yeah. yeah. I think um, like that, like I was kind of thinking there, okay, give me one, 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 one. And like that, I, I think what Rory just captioned it very, very well there. When the dust settles, because I often listen to my, my parents saying, oh, I remember the team of the sixties, remember that, and Jimmy Hasty and this and that. And you, you have all these kind of, um, you know, their memories of, oh, the football was brilliant or exceptional. And I think in, in years to come, I think people will look back upon this area and go, like the football that was played under Stephen Kenny from 2013 right up until the left was just uh, like we see things that they'll ever see or whatever that banner is. That is exactly what it is. Like I used to, on Saturday nights, I used to watch Match of the Day just to see the 
sheer class of football, the goals. I stopped watching Match of the Day on, on a Saturday night after 2014. There was no need to anymore. I was getting my football fix Oriel Park every every second Friday night and wherever I went on the road because the football was just that good. And I think that if we, no matter how good we go on to be or if we regress, I oh, I think that when there's really seven the dust settles, you look back on the, on the Stephen Kenny period, it's been phenomenal football and amazing football to watch. If I was to come in on it, um, there was a there was a period way back uh, it was when I was a little bit more involved in the club than than I am these days, when he was managing Longford, and this was in an era round about the late nineties, early two thousands, when being a manager in the League of Ireland was still for some a part time job, and it was basically going along overseeing the training session, which maybe hadn't changed all that much since these guys were training as players themselves. And a lot of ex-players going to a lot of their former clubs and doing, you know, pretty much coaching the team as they had been coached. And um, there was this figure that used to turn up in Oriel Park for under-21 games. And that was kind of unheard of because usually nobody would go to them. And people were saying, well, who's this guy? Oh, that's the Longford manager, Stephen Kenny. Uh, Stephen Kenny was traveling the country digging deeper, looking at players that nobody else was looking at. Even our own manager at the time was not really paying much attention to those games. Yet he was traveling to our games on a Saturday and you could be guaranteed he was going elsewhere on other days and building up a pretty much forensic knowledge of who was out there and how good they were. And that probably is why in 2013 his player acquisition was so spot on and he was able to pick a team from 1 to 11 improving exponentially on pretty much everybody we had before that. But I suppose if you're to take the, the, that, if that was the beginning of the crest of the Kenny wave in Irish football, the absolute crest of it, I suppose, was when we ended up in Leggy Warsaw with them hanging on, basically, uh, going down to 10 men, uh, deep into the second leg. And, and if it hadn't been for, as Lee Dixon called, one of the worst decisions he'd ever seen in awarding them that dodgy penalty in Dublin, I mean, can you imagine the pressure they would have been under with us sort of level um, with them going into that final half hour with a man advantage? And that was all done with essentially a 13-man squad. Like, you know, we had more or less run out of players by the time we, we were throwing on some of our youth team. But that was a League of Ireland team with essentially no resources playing immaculate football, tactically astute, constructive, attractive in this huge arena in front of whatever it was, 40,000, you know, avid fans. And you were there as a Dundalk fan and you were looking at your team matching them, full of internationals and, you know, multi-million pound players. You were matching them blow for blow. And there was very, very little in that tie. And, of course, there's always the hope that you will get back to that point someday and maybe go that little bit further. I suppose to get over all our cathartic hurt of having lost a guy, it was Stephen Kenny that brought us to that point, to that zenith. And I suppose for that and the whole era from when he came to the club to when he departed, I suppose every Dundalk fan is ultimately going to look back on that with warmth and affection and a certain sense of glory. And with that said, I suppose we have to wish him and Rory the very best of success and hope that they can achieve something similar with the Irish team. Uh, and in the meantime, 
we'll be quite content for Vinny to get us to the Champions League group stages <laughs> in, in, in 2023. Yeah, yeah. If we ever get back to them, well, I suppose that's probably more or less it for tonight, then, lads. Will we? I have to say one thing. I'm I'm impressed by the question was. What is your favourite memory of Stephen Kenny? We all outdid each other with obscure references because Martin went to a kit launch. Uh, I went to the 2013 season and you went all back to 1999 and an under-21s game in Oriel Park. So uh, <laughs> dig, digging, de- digging deeper and deeper into the archives. That's the, the, the forensic kind of instincts of the hive mind once we get together in alignment. Let no one mention no, Bate or something like this. It's let's go as obscure as we can go. No, we we leave we leave Bate to the Dundalk FM boys. I think that was their credit <laughs> glory too. All right. Will we pause it at that? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay.